Ani Bujo, watch a scanner. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Faith Rivers. I'm from the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Uh, my um, dotum is uh, Makwa, which is bear, Mississaugi, and Dao. Um, today, we're going to speak with Darlene Laforme. She's Kuga Turtle Clan. She's married 46 years to Anishinaabe man from the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. She's a mom, grandmother, great-grandmother, sister, auntie, and friend to many. Darlene works as a registered social worker. She learned her skills and culture, ways of being, and being resourceful. She spent four childhood years at the mush hole and credits her determination of a healthy life for her family. It is still work. Welcome, Darlene the Farm. Good afternoon. I I think about when I think about residential school, I think about about my mom a lot. I think for a lot of many years I carried, I, I was carrying her grief. She attended residential school from when she was very young till she was 16. And um, she was, she was very, a very quiet person. And I think on some of that, on some of that note too, because she was so quiet, it seemed that there was people that would come into her life and tell her like how to do things, what to do and stuff. So I uh, made it a point for myself as I grew up to not, um, not to be quiet, to be able to use my voice, to be able to have that strength to say, this is, this is what I need. And um, I know I had a, I I've been married for 46 years. And I know that my husband has always um, supported me. And, but he, I always felt that I had to um, be in a position where I could support myself. So even though when I, when we first started having kids, my husband said, I want you to stay home and raise the kids. So my kids, my youngest was five. Then I started going back to school. And after those years, I've had 10 years post-secondary now, and I've worked up to my master's. And I am thankful for the, the education, but I always remember to make sure that I had time for my family and my kids. Even so I was thankful for the time that I had with my youngest with my children. I have um, three natural children. And I have one that um, a child that came to us when he was 14. He is now 46. And then we adopted a child um, when I was in my 40s. So he's just now 20. And I always wanted to be able to make sure that I spent time with them. I always go, I like going out in nature and being um, outside and walking in nature and being able to use the teachings that I have of being in nature of like in the spring, watching the buds grow and saying, these are, these are, this is new growth. This or when it rained, this is, this is a mother earth getting cleansed. So using all those teachings that I've gotten throughout the years, and I've grown up on 
in um, Ontario most of my years, except for a few years that when my husband was in the military, we lived in New Brunswick. <clears throat> and so I'm very thankful for um, his support. And when I was younger, my mom had five kids. Um, she married an older man. He had, was a, a drinker and he was supportive. He was, I hear stories about him, about how um, he could um, speak the languages, how he would be part of the Mohawk singer. So when there was um, de um, deaths or something, they would do funerals and sing and they would always get together and sing. So there was a, a solid base for him for his um, language. And so he had already had, he had five kids previously. So when he met my mom, his kids were at, um, adults and having kids of their own at that time. So a lot of my sisters are old enough to be my, my mother, but he had got sick and um, died when I was three. And I remember carrying a lot of anger about that, but being angry because because of the lifestyle he chose that got him to be in that um, situation where he died. And so my mom ended up um, raising us five kids. And at one point in our, in our adult life, my older sister uh, got records from CAS because once when my father got sick, um, CAS became involved because he was sick and, um, they felt um, the support could be needed for us, for um, him when he was raising us. So uh, we became involved with CAS. And then when he died, they said that the situation was that my mom um, wasn't disciplining us. So they felt, well, it might be better if um, we were to go to the, the Mohawk Institute. But me and my brother went first and my sister, my older sister, because she had um, heart problems, she had a hole in her heart when she was younger. So she had to have surgery. So she came after her, her surgery. And I don't, like people always ask me, what did I, what did I get from being at residential school? And in like in 1989, 90s, uh, when the Healing Foundation started, people would say, um, what did you get from being from residents? We went to different places, like we um, go on trips and stuff, and um, we were able to play outside. There was a lot of kids, and they said, "What you need to look at, Darlene, is you need to look at how did it impact you emotionally." And I remember I just had a conversation with um, my niece, and she talks about like my brothers and my sisters, and. Um, how sometimes they don't seem to have uh, an emotional in the impact of, or they all shut down when you start getting into their emotions and stuff. And I think that was one of the things that we got from being in residential school is that you didn't have to, well, you weren't encouraged to support anybody else. And when you did try to like, okay, someone's having a bad day, you would go to try to go hug them and someone says, well, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you hugging them? What is, what is, what, what is your alternative to wanting to hug them? So there was always that um, background stuff going on about sexual abuse. So people 
were weren't encouraged to either be any any um, nurturing. Um, it was like I'm also reading right now. I'm in a um, I'm supporting a book club, and we're reading about the mushhole. And it talks like the years previous um, when it started and how things were. I remember reading in there. They said we were like they called the when the, the Ashton would send his reports to the New England company. He would call the children inmates, and that's what it was almost like um, because you had to line up for everything. You get up and you line up, and you can get up and go. If you got up in the night and go to the bathroom, you can go to the bathroom. But when you get up in the morning, when everybody else is up, you have to line up and brush your teeth, wash your face, um, line up, even to leave a like the dorm. When we lived in the dorms, line up to go downstairs, and then when you're ready to have breakfast, you line up again, go for breakfast. When you're done there, you line up again and go to school. So everything was lining up, lining up, and even when you get to the school there's a flag outside. So then we had to line up in two separate rows of boys on the right and the girls on the left facing the door. And then when the flag would go up, we would have to um, set our attention, put our arms down by our sides and our attention. And then when we're done, you could like, stand at ease and relax. So I know my, um, remember my sister talking about her son had been incarcerated and he goes, it's almost like you guys, when she talks about what things were going on, like it's almost like you guys were in jail because you had to do certain things at certain times. And when I think about the comment about us not having a lot of feeling, I think that is something that I've had to work on um, having kids, have, being in a relationship, having kids, and not just not just um, shutting everything down. And as a social worker, having to learn how to express those emotions. And I was thankful for learning a lot of um, energy work and being able to breathe through things or tap and or um, learning about our culture and how the water helps us. How to if you wash your face, it will calm you. It actually calms you, and drinking water will um, clear your throat. So a lot of things are going out, and I remember going out and uh, when it was really windy out. And I think about the teaching of when they say that like, when you're in grief, you go out in that wind. Well, if it's a strong wind, it'll come and it'll pick that grief off you. So I'm thankful for all of those teachings because that's something that we never ever. I don't think we would have ever got being in residential school. And in residential school, when we would get up, our day would be like, okay, you have to get up and make your bed. And you have to make your bed so that everything was just flat. It had to, and it had to be really um, straight. You had to tuck it in. And so everything was very, um, you gotta do it this way. And I think for when, people meet me and they work with me or they'll um, talk about how they call me like, oh, Darlene's really anal about how she does things. And I don't think about being, um, I don't try to be strict that I'll say, oh, Darlene's kind. Like, and I'm thinking like, that almost sounds like a bad thing to be kind, but um, always for me, it had to be like, okay, you have to be mindful of how you engage with people. And, um, 
because then I have to, I have to, whatever I pick up around me, I got to take home to my kids. So I always try to be mindful of like, I need to be taking care of myself, whether it's just having a short, um, get home, have a nap, a couple minutes, and then I'm ready to go again. But that's something that, that wouldn't have been done at the residential school. So when you get up, then our clothing was in a room um, behind the, there was a sewing room. And then, so then you have all these little cubbies and then you go to where your cubby is and you have your shirt and pants or underclothes, and then you have your shoes. So everything was always set out for you. So you didn't, it wasn't like you go in your drawer and you go choose and say, I'll wear this or I'll wear this. Everything's all picked out for you already. So going to the um, room and picking out your clothes. Um, they used to have, I remember going up and um, they would give you a pair of shoes, but if you needed another shoe up on the third floor in this little cubby was um, rows of shoes. Uh, so then you, if you needed another pair of shoes and you could get another pair of shoes, but they weren't um, what's in style. Like all kids always look at, oh, I gotta have what's in style. And so when we would line up and we would go into class, I don't remember the classes, like, okay, they say, okay, who was in your class? Like, I don't remember who was in my class and what did you do in class? I remember playing with glue and stuff like that, people, because people talk about eating glue and whatever. So I remember playing with glue, like if, if there's something that, a topic that you'll say, oh, what did you do? I can remember that. As discipline in school, um, if we were probably talking, um, or not doing the work, um, we would have to go in the hallway and what they would call duck walk. So you squat and you have to walk up and down the hall. Um, I remember, I, wasn't, I didn't get in trouble intentionally, but I remember not, not um, being upset because I had to do duck walk because I actually enjoyed it. And so that was our discipline there. If we had um, done anything, like over at the school was separate and then we would go back to the the, the playroom or whatever and if we did anything wrong there we would get the strap so um, I think being frustrated and um, having always having limitations um, I remember one time the, we had one house mother she was kind of short and kind of round and she always had her hair up in a bun she, did her top. she had like long hair but she had always up in a bun and um, getting her keys and then a um, couple of other girls and we just played monkey in the middle with her keys until uh, I, don't know, I don't know how she got them but we ended up getting the strap anyway so things like that wasn't <laughs> Um, getting the strap, but then we go oh, when we went got out of school, and then we were in on reserve school. We still got the strap if we did something wrong. But um, remember, with all the kids that was at the school, I don't really remember saying if, that I would have a friend. Like I said, who was your friend that you would usually play with? I remember being very um, isolated. I isolated myself. I would go out, they had, when you go out the um, playroom doors, there's a locker room, then there's a door that go to the playground and had an overhang. So then it had the mops, the rag mops. And I remember um, standing out there sometimes and braiding those mops as like they were dolls. And I don't remember ever having um, toys 
remember we had balls to play with. But I don't remember ever really having like dolls or like cars or anything like that to play with. And I remember if I if I um, wanted to get away from um, the kids, I would just go to the back um, behind the hall, behind the locker room. There was a little um, alcove there and just go back there and sit. And in the back, they talked about where everybody, there's a little um, almost probably about 20 feet by 20 feet where you could go in there and we would play. Um, um, we must have had skipping ropes, but playing skipping rope. And um, people would write their initials on the wall or write their names on the wall. I remember putting my um, name up or my initials up there. And um, I remember going back, people going back there years later and they would always go check, see, um, see, show somebody where they put their initials. When my mom was at the school, she talked about, because they played, they, they had this um, maypole. And I, I don't know what a maypole is really. I think it has the chains coming down or whatever you spin, I don't know, spin a ball around. And she said somebody had got hurt by that. So that's why there was, you, there was a pole there still, but there was nothing that you could, that, that was being played on it because somebody had got hurt. And she talked about um, someone falling out of one of the windows, the, um, dormitory windows and dying I, I, i've never heard of that like um what she would tell me about i never heard like in history or anything and i don't remember anybody um dying at the school when i was there i remember uh, a couple um, brothers walking home in the winter time and they walked along track and then they froze um, i think that was one of the incidents i heard about um, other than that, I didn't hear a lot of, I heard people would run away. We ran away once, like me, my older sister, my, I don't know if we took our younger sister with us and some other ones from Six Nations. And we, we um, said, well, then we got on the road and we're walking and we're going like, okay, where are we going to go? Where can we go? Because if you can't go to my house or my mom's house, because then they're going to check there. Can't go to your house. They'll check there. Even my sister, because um, her kids were at the residential school too, my older sister, couldn't go there because they would check there. They would check wherever we had family. And so we just walked and then we got picked up and brought back, got the strap. And thinking that there was no really no place for us to go or that we thought of going that we would um, they would say, okay, we'll protect you and we won't have you go back there. To say why we ran away, I'm not sure why we ran away. So for me, um, there's not a lot of recollection. Somebody asked me, like, what kind of foods did you eat? I remember um, having um, dinner and my sister didn't like boiled um, carrots. They were cooked carrots. And I didn't really like them either, but she was almost barfing on it. So I said, let me eat your carrots. And even though I didn't like them, that way she wasn't getting in trouble. So I'm um, watching over her. And I remember when she first came, um, she would she had a bed right by the bathroom and you could see the bathroom light um, shining on her bed. So she would go to sleep. And every time I would hear a noise, I would, and I was like um, near the front of the building and I would turn over and look because my understanding was that the same little chubby um, house mother, when she was on, she would come and get one of the girls. 
And so whenever I would hear a noise, I would always be watching, making sure that my younger sister wasn't getting bothered. And I remember some kids coming from Musini, um, when they got there, like probably the last year I was there, and you could hear them crying at night, crying because they wanted to go home. They didn't want to be there. Um, they were missing home. Um, in the evening when we would um, have a bath, there was like just a couple tubs, so we had to kind of line up to say when somebody would have a bath. Somebody talked about not um, how, like people would bathe, like a couple kids would bathe together to, to make it faster. I don't remember um, if we had a bath with anyone or not. I know at home you do, like yeah, you have a couple kids, you put them in the bath, but because I think it's kind of, we were all like a family, but. And I remember um, one of the things that was organized among the, the, the students was um, fighting. So you would fight against someone that was your same age. I don't know why we pick fighting, but so you fight someone your own age. My sister says I, we had to fight and because um, she's about, because she was probably ill when she was younger, she wasn't that much bigger than me. So neither of us would really win. I don't know if we were trying not to beat each other up or, but so we would just kind of flop each other. But um, my sister remembers, I remember too, um, one of the house mothers, Miss, Miss Hill, she would say, okay, we gotta um, teach you guys how to stand up straight. So we're gonna put books on your head, put the book on your head and you walk. My sister said, you used to do that the best. You could walk, like you would sit straight and you were your, your stand straight. You, would, you could walk with that book the best. <laughs> I remember doing it, but I don't remember if I, to say that I was the best at it. But um, one of the best things um, for us, when they talked about the emotional part is, um, my mom would come and see us every month. I think probably because she got a monthly check. And so at that time she would come up and um, we would go up to Brantford and we would walk to Brantford downtown and we would, she would take us to a show, go get us something to eat. And then she would um, bring us back. And I think she had to go get her own groceries and stuff and then go home. But um, I remember going to, I remember going to shows on Elvis and stuff. And um, my, I wasn't aware that um, she would also take my sister's kids, some of my sister's kids. And so I'm thinking like now, as an adult myself, I would have had to cost her a lot of money to be able to take everybody and walk and walk with us and go do different things. But she still did it. And that's one thing I'm thankful for is that she did take that time and spend it with us and come and see us. Because there was people that, that had their families from Six Nations that didn't get any visits. Um, some of the survivors would talk about they were there all those years and nobody came and seen them. Nobody came and took them on any outings. They didn't even go home during the holidays, so they had to stay there. And then they would just kind of sit by the window and wondering, okay, where's everybody else? Like, where's all my family? Where's everybody else gets to go somewhere? I don't get to go somewhere. So um, I was glad for that. But I am, when I think, when they say, okay, think about the emotional impact, think about how lonely it was and um, thinking that I was never good enough. And I think I, I have to always remember 
um, to be fortunate for what I have now, because I can get into that area of like, okay, I got to do things and I got to do it a certain way. And if I don't get it right, then I, I get down on myself. It's not that other people are getting down on me. I do, I'm doing it to myself. So trying to remember that it's okay. It's okay if um, I didn't do it exactly how it should have been done, but it got done. So, and um, I think even in, in my um, time of working with people is that utilizing the skills that I've gotten like in with counseling with um, reality therapy, choice theory, cognitive behavioral therapy, and then, like, what is it that you want and how are you going about getting it? And is it working for you? So when I would talk to staff, I would ask them all those questions of ones I worked with. And I remember them even saying that, tell you another one, if you have to go talk to Darlene, you have to know uh, what your concern is. What are you doing about it? And um, is it working for you or what else can be done? So they would always tell each other, this is, this is when you go see Darlene, you have to understand all this part. So it made people have that respect. But I remember also, um, I would get very, I, would, I took graphics in my first um, education. I took like, um, I went to New Brunswick Craft School, Arts and Craft School. And I took um, foundations, art foundations and took photography and woodworking. And when we moved back to Ontario, I took graphic arts because to take other courses, I would have had to um, either move or drive a long way. And I, I didn't choose to do either of that. So I took graphic arts because it was in Brantford and I could drive there. And so I took graphic arts. And in graphic arts, you have to be very precise in how you do things too. So that was a good match for how I was. And then when I went to um, work and then having like doing a newsletter or something, I would say, okay, you're, you're, I don't want an indentation. I want it all flush. I want space between things and I want this over here. There's too much space. And I would um, have people change things. And um, I remember my daughter was going to school for um, counseling and development too. And she came and she worked with me for a while. And then she was out with some friends and somebody said, oh, that um, supervisor's really, really, really picky. And my daughter said, that's my mom. And you're going to appreciate that help that she's given you right now because it's going to help you in your as you go on and go in different um your work and she's probably right that I did help that person but so sometimes when I when I when I would get into working after I got out of school I remember thinking that I need to work and I would just work and just work and just work and I didn't take time to um, socialize too much with with other people my um, first job was um, printing so there was only I had one supervisor and another guy I was working with when I first started but then he moved on to another position and so all we did was work and she was kind of like me too she would just work and we would just work but we would talk as we were working but to not engage with anybody else really and she would go and because she was on committees and stuff and then to go into another job um, in um, social work. And they would say, Darlene, and I thought, okay, somebody came in and talked and I was like, oh, I got stuff to get done. But I had to um, say, okay, 
take a few minutes and sit with them and talk with them about whatever they're talking about. Um, sometimes it had to do with what they needed done or sometimes they're just talking about um, how things were going in their life. I had to calm down and be able to listen to them. And um, so I don't think for me, I don't think I've, I'm doing that. I'm listening to people because as a social worker, you listen to people, you talk and you try to help them. But if I'm working with um, another staff member that has a different job, I'm not um, engaging with them as much. So I can go talk to other social workers and we'll talk, okay, uh, what do you find difficulty with? Um, if, um, okay, I need to deal with this and how, did I deal with it right? Or also say I've done this. How do I? So we can I can work with them a lot more better because they're doing the same thing I am. But when I'm working with someone, I'll listen to them. And if there's things that we need to work with a common person, then um, I give my feedback. And that's this is what they would like to see with them. And I can do it, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the friendliest person. Like I'm kind, but I'm not. I don't go out and. Um, make friends, which is, which is, I rely on my family. So in my time of having kids, my family is my biggest thing, but I don't go and see my kids all the time. Um, I'll go and check in on them, like, or call them and um, see them. And I, and I feel good just doing that. And I know when I see my grandkids or the great grandkids, They'll always say hello and um, hug and um, say I love you. So I am thankful for the um, time that my mom took to spend to come and see us at the residential school. So then that she could teach me that that was one of the most important things. She always said, um, if there's anything that you have in your life, make sure that you are there for your family. Make sure that you're there for um people that that you are most close to so that's what I try to do um but I try to make sure that I have I set those limits up too where I don't feel like I'm doing everything because sometimes um when I have friends when I've had friends um I'll go see them and because of the trainings I've got and the energy works and stuff that I do sometimes they say okay tell me what's going on with me and then I try to talk about myself or this is what's going on for me. And then they kind of just, it seems to like I'm doing more therapy work with them instead of them listening to how I need to, um, why I came to see them because I go, oh, you just came at the right time. I think you go see anybody, you go see them at the right time because that's how things happen. But that's not what I want to do when I go see people is to be doing therapy on them. Um, residential school, um, we would always play outside. I remember as, as um, the girls, um, the boys were always separate. We never, like we had our brothers and we knew they were our brothers. We knew um, my, my, my nephews and my nieces and stuff when we, we were all going there, but we never really engaged a lot. I don't remember, like um, I was a junior. I don't know if my sister was a junior or if she was intermediate. Um, but I don't remember playing with her too often. My younger one, younger sister was a junior, but um, because she played with the youngest ones. So I don't remember really playing with her either. And my brothers, um, we didn't engage with them that much. So 
when we got out of residential school um, because my mom didn't have her own place and she was um, waiting for a house from council. When she did get the monies for it, my grandpa built her a two room, two room house. So then when they said, okay, your mom has a house, but you all can't go live there. So only the girls went with her and then the boys went into foster care. And I remember my mom um, taking us and go visit the boys and um, talking to my one brother that um, that was there. He was my younger brother. Um, he was kind of um, not really interested in us visiting. And as an adult and talking to him now, like, or like when we became adults, like those like 40 years ago, but to say, we were there and we went to visit you. We had to sit like the foster mom said, okay, you guys can visit, but you sit outside and visit. No, it was, I, don't, I remember going into the house, like being in the house, but I don't remember visiting too often. So we had to sit outside. And then him being told um, that my mom wasn't there for him. And listening to the um, discipline that they got at the house, um, I don't know if it was any better than when they were in residential school that was very, very strict. And my older brother, um, David, he got an argument with... Um, so I guess what do you call foster sister that was around the same age as him. So, and when um, the foster mom came to talk to him, she was going to hit him and he put his arm up to stop her from hitting him. And so she called CIS and said, we don't want him in our house. So he was moved to another home that had older parents and they just, okay, you can stay here. You got a room, you can do whatever you want. So I never knew in that time when he was in the next foster home, I just knew he would go, he would be in Hagersville, but I never knew until he committed suicide when he was 17 before his 18th birthday. And he had come over to my mom's and we had, um, it was on the 23rd. And so he was there and, we, and my mom's, oh, um, David's coming over on a fixed turkey and stuff. So we had a, like a turkey dinner. And I remember talking to him about, what do you want? Like, what do you want to do? Like, and my husband was going in the military at that time. And he goes, why don't you, why don't you think about that? And he goes, no, I don't, I don't see the world as a nice place. I don't see a future. And um, so then they found him like a week later where his foster home was, was one concession away from where my mom's house was. So he could walk um those fields so he could walk across the on the edge of the field because it was a um like a roadway there um for the tractors so he could walk down there and then get to my mom's house just by walking there but they found him in the woods back there and he had snorted cocaine and then had shot himself and i never even knew he was doing cocaine i remember him coming over my mom's house and telling me to um smarten up um, what I was drinking at my mom's and he's just smart up, don't be acting like that. And, um, but I remember him being very, um, analytical, very thoughtful. He, um, even the foster sister, um, she talks about him and says he would read a lot. He liked reading on astronomy and on mythological, mythological stories and stuff. So he was very in depth and he was always thinking about things. I thinking too much then. Um, so I was glad for um, the time I had with him. 
I had to work on on building a relationship with my younger um, brother. He was when I went because I had um, got married when I was fifteen, um, had my son before I turned sixteen, and so my next year I went back to school. My younger brother was in the same grade I was, and I remember um, talking to him, and um, there was things that would come out like a school trip or something, and. My mom would say, oh, I want to go to this and, and then giving a ticket to him because he couldn't, he wasn't given the opportunity to go. So then he would, I, I would just give the ticket to him. So when I think about how all of us are so different, like my siblings are all different. I think of like what happened or when did they, when did they have that change? I think for my brothers, um, I think that sexual assault was happening for them. They never talked, they never said no. They never said it wasn't happening or anything. Um, I don't, I don't, I was never um, sexually assaulted by any of the staff, but I know that people always told us we were very quiet. We were very quiet girls. Um, and I don't think I, I don't think I am that quiet anymore. And I think that when the talk on residential school came out and um, the kids were talking about it at school, I remember my youngest son, he's like 20 now, but when he was in public school, they were talking about residential school and they talked about, oh, when kids get their hair cut off or they have to have this, they had, I guess, put back on gasoline mixture in your hair to get rid of any lice or whatever and I said oh, that never happened when I was there and they went so I never told my kids that I had gone to residential school until it started coming out in 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 the teachings of talking about residential school and so then people say tell well think about how it impacted you I think it, it, for me because I was always thinking I was never good enough. I always was trying to improve myself. How do I improve myself? How do I um, be a better mom? How do I um, be a better person? Um, how do I get educated so um, I can get a job and I don't have to worry about, I think I was I don't worried about like, okay, if I don't have a partner, I'm gonna be able to take care of my kids. So what I would do is I would get, I think I always worked, but I always did like a home business, did Alouette, did um, uh, other ones. So in that time, I, I didn't, I didn't pursue it as a, as something to take over my work. It was just something that I always seemed to be doing. I also seemed to be doing something more. So, um, even now at my, at my age now, I look at, okay. So um, I worked, I worked a full-time job. I worked as a contractor. I have my own business. And then, so I said, okay, I'm going to um, stop all that. Like I'm gonna stop doing the extras and, and, and make sure I have time at home for, um, I'm raising my great grandson now. So I wanna be here for him and, to be here for him, I have to take care of myself um, physically and um, 
mentally and emotionally and spiritually. So how do I be a better person and have that um, where I don't overextend myself all the time? Because that's something I do. And I've learned to be careful and sometimes in how I talk to my um, siblings because sometimes they don't want to talk about um, change, I guess I would say change. If they want to do something, I'll say, how are you doing it? Like, okay, let me help you or whatever. Um, if they don't really want that change, they kind of shut down. So just, and and then like for me to be okay with it. It's okay. It's okay. That's that's your life. You You choose what you want to do in your life. Um, I think when, as let me say with people, when they get out of um, residential school, a lot of them have um, addictions like um, alcohol or drugs. Um, I think my addiction was work. Somebody would say, what do you do? Like, could be like years before. What do you do to calm down? And as a supervisor, I could go into work at different times. So I would say, fine, don't feel good about something. I'll just, I'm gonna go to work and do some work. And that would calm me down. But they're going, that's not right. Why? My kids would say it's not right. I never thought it was. I never thought it was. What's the idea? What's, the, what's so bad about it? They said, darling, you gotta do something for yourself. Well, that was something for myself. So for me to look at how can I, Look after myself. That is more nurturing instead of trying to keep working and helping somebody else and doing some more work. And uh, I remember one job I had, I asked um, my niece, she took social work and she was doing really good in her marks and everything else. And I said, would you apply for the position I had? And she says, no, because you made it too hard. You made it too hard because you do too much. You improve so much stuff that when somebody else goes in there, they're not going to be able to measure up. I'm going like, you could, like, because she was a lot like I was, but she said, no, it was, it was, it was too hard that I made it too hard. But, and I remember like getting a task and they say, okay, um, like if I, I worked as a supervisor in um, shelter. So then they said, okay, how do you, arrange um your calendar for your staff to work so then i made a calendar and i color coded different people different colors so that when they look for that color they knew it was them and they could work and they said okay you have to have it done within six weeks so i did a couple for six weeks and then like three weeks and then it would just repeat and then i would do another one because people were because a lot of time it was for more for my shift workers and um, so then I would get it done for a couple, like 12 weeks. And they're going like, oh, why do you do that? You make, and the other supervisor's going, you make us look bad. I'm thinking like, I'm not trying to make anybody look bad. I'm just trying for myself to make it so that it's done. It looks good. It's colorful, it's creative, but they always thought I was trying to com compete. And I think I was only trying to make sure that what I did was what I like to do. And because of my graphic background, I incorporate that creativity within it. So in keeping in contact with 
remember as um, when we come out of residential school, we would meet or go visit some of the ones that were in residential school. But over the years, as we got into having kids, and I guess it happens no matter what kind of um, role you have, then you kind of break away from seeing all those people. Um, but I can, I can say that I can talk to almost um, anyone that's gone to residential school and we all, and we can sit and um, do those reminiscing of those days on how things were or what happened. And I um, remember learning to swim and I met um, the one lady, she had moved away, but she had moved back. And I said, I remember um, you teaching me how to swim. And she goes, I don't remember that. I go and because she was a senior then, and I said, yeah, well, we had a, we had a pool out back, and um, some other kids would say, oh, yeah, I remember learning how to swim, and they would just throw us in the water and say swim, and hopefully you learn how to swim, or else they had to go in and get you. So, um, in all the in all the things that I learned, like even in um, when you make your bed. I'll, I don't get as anal about making sure it's like tight and everything. Um, remember as when I, when my kids were young, I could go do all that stuff now, but I think as I, as I got, have gotten older and got to like I gotten busier, I don't worry about that as much. And so I hope that I have um, found that calmness where I don't have to feel like I'm just doing too much or um, feeling satisfied because I'm doing so much and being able to um, be there for my family. And I think my family wouldn't say that I was never there for them because we would still do things and we would, I would still go out and um, my, because um, it reminded me of my, my daughter, um, she has a, her youngest is two. And she said, I was bringing her home and she was going, nah, 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 nah. she was crying that she wanted to come and see me. So she brought and brought her and see me. Now it hadn't even been a, um, like four days or whatever since I hadn't seen her. But so those things like that are what make me feel that I've done a good job in, in where I am now and being there for my kids and the babies and stuff and for the older ones too. Um. I wouldn't have been married for 46 years if we didn't, if I didn't do some kind of compromising on, on um, being able to be supportive to my husband too. So I remember going to school and um, at one point he said, I think you're going to outgrow me. And I said, oh, I'm not going to outgrow you. We're just going to, our lives are going to change. And, and I think in everybody's life, when, when their changes are coming, people are always doing, going through changes. So like, you can never say that where you are now is where you were like 10 years ago. And even if your lifestyle seemed to be the same, there's still changes have happened that make you a different person now, whether it's going to school, um, getting a job, getting a different job that's a totally different field. You're always growing and to be accepting of those changes that you make because I don't know if I would have been happy if I would have stayed in just doing one thing. And I'm just coming to an age now where I'm, I'm more settled in saying, okay, I'll, I accept where I am today. And I enjoy my life. And I think that's the most important thing is enjoying your life. Cause I talk to 
I talked to my um, one nephew, like he's as old as I am, he's actually older than I am. And he was saying, Darlene, um, he still stays with his mom. Can you help me find a place? And I said, that's one of the hardest things to do in, in this day and age right now is to find a place. I said, um, so we kind I kind of like went over like, when you had your place before, what did you, how did you lose your place? What choices did you do that um, got you there? And what are you going to change the next time you have a place? I just want a place. So um, there's people that have gone to residential school that um, haven't made a lot of changes. And then they use the um, residential school as they're like, because I was in residential school, I can't do that. Or I'm, I'm just, it just hurts so much. And I believe that they still are hurting because I know that even in um, talking to my nephew, I said, would you like to talk about what went on? He goes, no, it's, it's too hurtful. But I know that he said when, um, he always missed his mom. His mom is still, he's, he's with his mom and um, she's always been in trying to support him. But that's one of the things he said he missed about when he was in residential school. So I would just sit and wait for my mom. So um, there's a there's a a lot of dysfunction that's going on when people don't um, try to look at how they can like be more of that family role to listen to. Um, how to be better because sometimes they just want to stay in their anger and I'm glad that um, I can go out and I can see my siblings we can sit and have tea or or go out for a meal or whatever and sit and talk about things but I know as um, myself that there's things that you know you don't talk to people about and that you have to be careful um, when you bring something up so I just try to mostly talk from what I experience. Um, I remember in um, when they talk about goals and stuff about what 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 I didn't get when I was in residential school. I remember thinking that um, my next year when we would have went, I didn't know it was supposed to be done as a kid. Oh, my next year when I go back, I wanna because I would have learned how to play the piano. But in all my life, I've never learned how to play the piano. So. Um, it was just something that um, I found interesting at that time, but never thought to pursue it later on. Um, my husband plays guitar, and so I have the music around me, and um, my kids, some of my kids play guitar, and um, we like to sing and stuff. So um, I find fulfillment in that. So, and my husband's always done that since we met. He always was musical. I've lived um, on. Six Nations before I went into residential school and back on Six Nations. And then when I got married, I moved to Mississauga the Credit. And um, until my husband got in the military, we moved away for 10 years. And then we moved back um, because housing was an issue. We moved to um, Brantford. And then because um, we had got into more full-time positions, we were able to get a house in Brantford. And then when we get a house in Brantford, you don't qualify for getting a house when you're on a reserve. So we just lived in Bradford like for 15 years. We sold our house and then we built our own house. So 
I think that for me, my story has gone from, it's more of a personal journey. For me, it's more of a personal journey and trying not to um, sabotage myself and looking at um, what can make me happy and not try to focus on um, because um, other people, I've listened to other people's stories and people all say how fortunate I am because of where I am, but it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got there if I didn't have to do that constant inventory of myself, inventory of where I want, of what I want in my life. And I think my kids would say that they are glad that I've done the work that I've done, that I've gotten the education that I have because now they're all pursuing um, where they want to be and they know that there's more out there that you can get. But for people that um, have gotten stuck in um, their addictions, I don't think it's ever too late to um, keep doing that soul searching for yourself to um, realize that there's more out there for for you if you go and look for it. Um, even if it's something where you just go in and engage with people that um, are where you want to be. And I think that's always something that I've been taught. And like, um, I've worked, I've worked and I, I was in um, businesses where you look at self-growth and development. So that has helped me to um, always consider where I am and always consider how I can always be of assistance to other people without overdoing it. Like when I was working full time and then I would do my um, contracting job, I was working in the evenings. So I was thinking oh, I'll do one or two evenings, ended up doing like three evenings and then having like all evening of working. And it was like, you know what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to take away from my family, keep taking away from my family. Even though we don't have a busy, busy life. Um, we're not, my, when my son was young, we were busy because he was in sports, but he's an adult now. So we don't have um, to take anybody anywhere to go to their sports and be engaged in that because all my kids do that for their own kids. So um, I am always learning. I'm learning about um, the residential school about like doing that book club. And um, I sit with uh, survivor secretariat and we talk about um, how we're gonna do the um, monitoring of, see if, that, if we have any bodies around uh, the mock Institute um, where the grounds were before. Um, so it's a, it's a big process right now. And I know that um, there's gonna be a lot of there's been a lot of emotion and there's going to be a lot more emotion around our own area if there's um, validation of um, bodies being found that are kind of like they were buried like I mean buried like we, we put these people here hopefully they don't get found that kind of buried um so I think the next few years are going to be um, traumatic for some for the communities and um, hopefully people um, reach out to the resources that they have to talk to people 
Okay. Um, in the schools, we had what we called house mothers and house fathers. They were people that were hired to do the jobs. They weren't for at Morgan Institute. As far as I know, they weren't there weren't any nuns. So um, I know that we um, asked people or um, people are asking like, how do we find records for where people were or um, if people went missing? And some of those records have got moved. Like when residential school closed, um, they were moved to a different place. And then from there, they were moved to a different place. So um, trying to do a tracking of where all these records went is a task in itself too. And um, the, they said that the government is going to give three years where they don't have to, if, he, if the survivors are looking for records, that they're going to charge them for looking for the records as, as they would. So um, I think we're going to get busier. Um, we're trying, they have the Mohawk um, Park up where the orchards were. They had orchards there and we were never allowed to go get the apples. They had a, the cannon. Ken and Zimmerman, when I was there, had a garden behind his house, and we were never ever allowed to get any of the vegetables there. Um, the playground was, they had big trees, the, the hollowed out roots where the trees were, were our, were our houses. <laughs> so there's a lot of um, memories that I have, and a lot of memories I've probably suppressed over the years that still haven't come up. So I'm still working on, on being there and helping other survivors and being a part of the survivor secretariat to talk about what we can do so we can um, be recognized as, as this being a crucial part of history. I just have um, some, some comments, Darlene. Um, mm -hmm. Just sitting here listening to you, I... Um... I commend you on the work that you have done for yourself and to understand why you are the way you are. And um, I don't know if anybody's going to get to hear your awesome laugh, but, you know, one of the things when you were talking about your uh, using your voice and uh, your, your, some of your family not using their voice you surely do use your voice and I appreciate that voice. And so it doesn't matter where we are, if we're in a um, community meeting or if we're wherever we are and we hear your laugh and it just makes everybody feel good. And, and it's so um, grounding, you know, so I appreciate. And as you were talking, I was, um, I was smudging in my office here because I think that for me anyways, it's, it's to come on live and speak about your story is um, sometimes very difficult for people. And just to give you that extra prayers and that extra energy, that's why I was smudging. Yeah, I know, so thank you. I laugh. My, um, we can go out anywhere, my husband will say, if I can't find her, I'll just wait for her to laugh because she's usually talking to somebody and then she'll laugh and then they go, oh, there she is. <laughs> so, yeah, and my kids say that too. We can find you anywhere. Don't be quick for listening. Yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing hour and it's like, 
oh, we're done already, right? Anyways, um, I just want to say chi miigwech for, for coming out today and, and really, um, you know, giving us your story, your experiences about residential school. And uh, one of the things I, I really want to say is that um, when people talk about, when people think about residential school and they hear other people talk, um, sometimes it's not always that great, right? And they talk about stories that are really, you know, hurtful like you did today. And one of the things that's different about you and your story that is, is a really um, positive is that you looked at this as part of um, who you are, your story, why you are the way you are. Right. And and I just want to say thank you, because it's it's something that's very close to your heart and very, you know, your story, your experiences. And to share that with the panel is is uh, amazing. And I just want to say Chibiwech again for for giving us your true story. Thank you for joining us today as we continue our Indigenous Conversations webinars. We would like to thank Darlene Laforme for sharing her lived experiences in the residential school system and for her willingness to share such a personal and emotional part of her childhood and experiences as an Indigenous person. Through truth and acknowledgement, we can create a path to truth and reconciliation. We would also like to thank Faith Rivers for her continued support in this webinar series and as a director for Heritage Mississauga. Heritage Mississauga would also like to thank the Ontario Trillium Foundation's Resilient Communities Fund for their financial support to help us bring Indigenous conversations to a wider community through this webinar series. Join us next week on December 1, 2021 at 12 o'clock p.m. as we continue our conversations with Carolyn King, who will be discussing the Moccasin Identifier Project. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our channels to continue to be part of the conversations.